0: Welcome to Contra Pulse, this is Julie. This week we speak with violinist and violist Mary Lee. Classically trained from a musical family, Mary has been playing dance music professionally since 1977. While her focus has been on contra, square, and English country dance music, she has also extensively played couple and quadrille music from the 19th and early 20th centuries, including polkas, waltzes, ragtime, tangos, and blues. Intrigued by music of all kinds, Mary also continues to explore repertoire from Europe and South America. Within a year of moving to Boston in 1977, Mary joined two local bands. Yankee Ingenuity was a contraband that played at festivals, dances, and camps throughout the U.S. and in England, and represented some of the best of New England Square and contradance music and calling. Her other band was Bare Necessities, a quartet known here and abroad as the benchmark of English country dance music. Now living in Brattleboro, Vermont, Mary has also branched out to play with other groups over the years. Wild Asparagus, Orient Express, BLT, MGM, Dark Carnival and Crazy Quilt, and Paradiso. She was also a member of the large eclectic string ensemble Child's Play. Mary teaches private lessons, plays for dances, plays for events and concerts, organizes concerts and dance weeks, plus teaches and plays at dance and music weeks throughout the country. In this interview, we talk about how Mary started playing for folk music and her roots in the Boston Contra scene, some of the different styles of dance that she plays for, and the days of the legendary Yankee Ingenuity dance in Concord, Massachusetts. She talks about her approaches as a dance fiddler and how she likes to treat improvisation and variation. She also shares her favorite things about different kinds of rhythm players. We talk about guitar versus piano and the nuts and bolts of playing for contra dances, such as medleys and arrangements, and whether those things are important or not. She shares her perspective on the musical scene as someone who booked the bands for the Brattleboro Dawn Dance for many years and we delve into some of the many other music styles that she plays for. This interview was one of the last ones that I did on my porch before winter, and it turned out that that day it was pouring rain. Apologize if the rain affected the sound quality, but like stalwart Yankees, we carried on with the interview anyway. Hope you enjoy. (laughs) Pulse. <laughs> Hello, Julie Valamont,
1: and thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, today it's raining. Folks might have noticed. It's uh, that kind of October rain that just doesn't stop. It's been raining like this all day, but the colors outside are amazing. I do feel like the colors are often brighter on rainy days. I agree. It would be a good day to sit out here and paint. And I was-
1: Yep, I was just doing that inside.
0: Really, yep. what were you painting?
1: I was painting an apple. Oh, <laughs> I, I picked a lot of uh, apples off the ground yesterday, and, and uh, I was just trying to match the colors because they were drops from along Butterfield Road in Marlborough. Yeah, wild apples.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, are they small?
1: Actually, not necessarily. Mm. There's some that are that are a good size and bright, beautiful, dark red, almost alizarin colored
2: oh. with
1: white, creamy inside. Yeah, I'm not sure what the variety is.
0: This is the kind of weather that makes me want to contra dance. It's like sure. Cold and rainy. We are all I'm we're all wearing bundled uh, clothing. Yeah, do you want to do a little birding here? There's a
1: little wren. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet, tweet, tweet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was charming. Normally, we just get like European sparrows and other birds here. But once in a while, we get fun things like woodpeckers and the hummingbirds are all gone now. Yeah. House friends. House friends. Lovely. Well, uh, where shall we begin? Would you like to talk about like how you started playing music and how you ended up playing for country dances?
1: Sure. Um. I mean, the easiest thing to say is that I had no choice about playing music because my mother was a pianist and uh, my father was the son of a pianist. (laughs) So um, music was was in my destiny. And um, I started violin actually at eight. And uh, we had a program at school and and I did that. And then at the age of nine, I started piano. So from then on, it was um, music, orchestras, classical music, Things like that all through high school, and um, and although I stopped, I mean, I, oh, I played in college because I went to Oberlin and uh, played for a couple of years there. Um, I got into Gilbert and Sullivan, so oh, I got yeah. into the, the the more orchestral, I means it slightly veered off classical music, but um, and uh, got into the more theatrical music, and then. And then I went off to the Peace Corps and did other things. And when I came back, I got back into music uh, in Amherst. Um, but I was living—I was living in the valley then, so I was in Leverett. And I mean, when I say the valley, I say the Connecticut River Valley. Mm-hmm. And um, that was in the uh, when I finally, yeah, settled down. It was really like the beginning of 1971 to 77 that I lived there. So I knew David Koehner, and I knew you know, people were starting to contra-dance. And, uh, and I was living with, in a group house, and a friend, one of my housemates got a call from somebody, I think it was 1976, from somebody in Northampton saying there was a desire for a contra-dance among the, the women's union in Northampton, and they wanted a women's band. And did she want to play? And I, overhe- I overheard that conversation, and I said... Me too. <laughs> and so the two of us then joined uh, five other women, actually, went down to Northampton and started rehearsing for this contra dance. And uh, so that was like the first time I ever took a tune by Cole Rain. I remember that very well. Wrote out a harmony for that, because of course I could do that on the piano and, um, you know, figure out what uh, what would be nice for two fiddles because there were two of us who played fiddle in the group. And anyway, that, that evolved because that summer, had a, so I had been to Cape Breton the summer before I took the whole band up to Cape Breton and uh, got introduced to Cape Breton music. Um, I mean, introduced them to Cape Breton music. And that band was called Ladies Chain and we lasted for about three years and I would say we were long on process and short on product, but <laughs> we had a great time and we played all over, you know, we played at the Grange and we played here in Brattleboro. We played at Chelsea house, um, played at McCusker's over in, uh, Buckland and, uh, down in Northampton. Yeah. So that was then, then I, in 1977, I actually had moved to Boston and, um, was introduced to the dancing and the playing there and got my first gig with Todd Whittemore in 1978 when he said, I've gone down my list of musicians, of fiddlers, and I haven't been able to find a fiddler. (laughs) So I knew he was at the bottom of his list. (laughs) And he he asked me if I wanted to play in uh, Newmarket, New Hampshire. And uh, I jumped on the chance of that. It was an outdoor event. And um, that's when I first met Kate Barnes, who was playing bass then, and uh, and just loved that that and that put me, you know, in Todd's uh, you know on Todd's list actually mm-hmm. to be hired for the Thursday night dances. And eventually, I started playing a lot. Yeah. In in Boston, I had sometimes, you know, just. It was right at the, kind of the front wave of things. You know, there was Andy Wolf, There was uh, Alan Block. There were some of these Rodney Miller, you know, people who played. But uh, I joined right away, joined in with uh, Yankee Ingenuity, like a, right right off the bat with uh, with with Donna,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that time Donna Hines, Donna Hebert, and uh, Tony Parks Calling. So I was part of that band then for like 19 years. Mm-hmm. So I got, I, I kind of just stepped right into the middle of things.
0: So that yeah. dance, the Yankee Ingenuity dance, was already kind of happening yeah. at that time when That's they right. asked you mm-hmm. to join the band.
1: Yeah, I don't know how many years it had been going, but, uh, yeah, it, it was great, because I think Donna had always wanted to have another fiddler, and uh-huh. that gave us opportunities to um, play in harmony, and which she really liked. I love two fiddles, and... Uh, it was it was a great opportunity. And I think because of my classical background, I was, I mean, I heard, oh, and I also played viola. So I played viola in an orchestra, and I always heard those interior, sort of the interior melodies, mm-hmm. you know, the interior harmonies. And so uh, I think I kind of um, you know, found that a good fit. Yeah. yeah. So...
0: When I was a new dancer in Boston, the, the Yankee Ingenuity Dance was the first dance I ever went to in Boston. I had gone to my first dance in Maine years before that, but then when I moved to Boston, I was like, oh, let's try concha dancing. And that was the Monday night dance, and you were playing for yes, it. That's right. And I remember that. I remember watching Kate play piano and all the tricks and games. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just watching Kate and Cal up there on stage giving each other funny glances, like they're up to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one, one of the nice attributes of
1: that too was that we often had a guest musician. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as time went on and, and Donna moved it into Northampton, uh, moved away. And, and so then we always, almost always had a, a guest musician, mm-hmm. which really kind of forced my hand because as the melody, the main melody player, um, you know, I needed all the... I, I needed to know what people knew, and I also needed to write down, kind of keep a list of the tunes. Otherwise, you know, a caller says, well, I want jigs or something, and then you're, well, do you know this jig or do you know that jig? And, you know, it's like, it's very problematic trying to come up with a medley with somebody you don't play with all the time. Yeah. And uh, and I, somewhere along the line... And it, I think maybe this was just the way Donna thought about things, is, is to have uh, three tunes, usually, two or three tunes. Mm-hmm. For most contras, for square dances, maybe just one or maybe two. Um, and, uh, and the other thing, too, was that Tony was an incredible caller to work for because he was also a musician. And so he was very particular about, you know, I want hornpipes for this, or I want, you know, an old time tune for this, or, you know, or specific tunes. And so, um, that really forced us to kind of keep, keep in a way, keep a, either a mental or a physical list of all these varieties of tunes. I want a French Canadian style, Mm -hmm. you know, so all right away, you know, it's differentiating between the different styles of music. And I went down to, uh, almost right away also, in the late 70s, went down to Augusta Arts Heritage, mm-hmm. and also to oshokan So, for the Augusta Arts Heritage, you know, I was introduced to old-time, the first time I went there was three weeks of playing old-time music. And then I went down another time and worked with Pete Sutherland, and another time working with Liz Carroll on Irish music, and, um, you know, just, like, introduced to all these different styles, and I thought, well... Uh, I'm never going to get really great at any one of them, but at least because I think that's what you need to do is really focus if you are. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I was just thinking, well, I'll lift my boat little by little and get better at each, you know, at each style. So that was kind of how I approached it, um, and and that served well, I think, for contra dance, at least for the Yankee ingenuity dances and what what Tony wanted, which was was some distinction, you know, musical distinction between what we were playing for different dances. Mm -hmm. So, and not all callers would do that, but
0: So that each dance has different kinds of tunes for it? Yeah, and a different character Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's a way he would craft the evening. So in a way I kind of learned to craft an evening that way as well. If I were working with another caller I wouldn't just do like Three medleys of uh, in a row of Irish tunes. You yeah, know, it's like, well, what's the characteristic of the dance? You know, if there's a lot of balances, maybe I would do some really strong, strongly phrased French Canadian tunes, or you know, some old-time tunes also have some really strong phrasing, and um, things like that. You know, do you want it driving? So, yeah, or or do you want it kind of marchy or some pretty? You know, <laughs> whatever. It's just however. Sometimes people would use, some people would say, I want it, I want sort of a sexy tune. And I think, what's that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can't can't translate that one too easily, but.
0: Conscious dancing is many things. Yeah,
1: that's right. (laughs) And then, of course, there's, you know, and then, of course, there was always Kate, whom I played with all those years, and then so many different bands that, uh, you know, we, we had we, we began to have a sixth sense about there's going to be a substitution chord coming up or there's going to be, you know, a certain run or a certain break or something that would be dramatic,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, that would happen. and uh, And I was kind of always expecting to create more drama in a medley, you know, maybe start off one way but maybe end with a bit more pizzazz, you know. So.
0: How much of that was your role as a fiddler, or were you kind of riding the rhythm section's wave? Oh,
1: I mean, I think it had to do with how I thought about the tunes, mm-hmm. and how, how I knew I played them anyway, or that the band played them. Um, you know, so that you know, some tunes uh, just, you know, just felt a little bit more prosaic to begin with, and others just seemed to have a lot more inherent drama. And and uh, and so, that would be something that we might move towards, you know, in the course of the dance. Because when people are first dancing, they're not listening in the same way anyway. They're Mm -hmm. trying to get the dance down. So uh, that was it. It it made sense to build up. Mm -hmm. And I, you do that. I mean, I, I, you know, good. I think, I think musicians. Sort of learn to craft things that way.
0: Yeah. Well, I was, as you were talking, I was just also sort of reflecting that my thoughts about programming at night are usually to be like, okay, the caller gives us a dance card and then we pick the genre of tunes that fit that card. And so we'll play French Canadian tunes and then Irish and then old time. And I'm yep. kind of like, why do I do it that way? I don't know. I just, that's how I learned from the people I was playing with. You know, it doesn't have to. Be be that way. Like there might no. be a time when you would just play all New England tunes for a whole night well, and of dancing. I,
1: that's true. Or or you would have, you know, you would have bands at least in the Boston area that that played old time tunes. Yep. And so, you know, for better or for worse, there there was a, a certain same quality sameness to it, you know, mm-hmm. just um, you know that but I again, I I really attribute a lot to having worked with Yankee Ingenuity, and maybe Tony in particular, because, mm-hmm. because he wrote out a program, you know, and the first group might be New England Reels, the second one might be a set of jigs, you know, the third, but maybe with a certain flavor.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: the third would be hornpipes or, or something like that, you know, or he'd do a circle mixer. You know, so he had um, really clear ideas of what he wanted musically. Yeah. So that
0: yeah, I think that And I enjoy that I enjoy that aesthetic now. Like that's my go to aesthetic when I'm matching tunes and dances. I sort of just inherited it without thinking about it. (laughs) You know, you can hear contrabands like Tidal Wave who will play music from Quebec all night or old time bands or there are Irish rooted bands who will play Irish tunes all night. But then there's this other very kind of New England contra dance thing to do, which is to mix up all these different genres of tunes and match them to dances. Because each of these genres of tunes has their own character. And like you're saying, some of them have long, lyrical phrases. Some of them have short, more staccato phrases. Some of them naturally have a little more drive or a little more lilt, and you can use that. Well,
1: I I sort of... um, When I I played with... um, I mean, when I... Sorry. When I was... uh, Called on to uh, direct um, a musicians' course, you know, at at uh, at Woods, I thought a lot about that, and and uh, and really kind of worked with the musicians who were there,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, on just those issues, you know, like what are these, what we would play a tune, somebody would. Play a tune, and I'd say, "Well, what are the characteristics of that? I mean, what else might you put with it?" Some people would think that they would put something very different with it, and or others would think, "Well, let's let's have this whole medley have a certain character, mm-hmm. you know, and rather than just making it jumpy within within one one dance, it's just to, to and um, so I really thought I thought a lot about that, and uh, and I actually have a when I wrote my list of tunes, they were not only by key, they were also by genre. So I'd have all this, you know, like all these Quebecois tunes, and I would have them by key, and then I would also have the Southern tunes and do the same thing, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know, it's just, that, that just became standard mm-hmm. fare for me, anyway.
0: Right. Do you still have a copy of that Yankee Ingenuity tune list from I back do. in the day? I'm right here You have it with you? I do. Amazing.
1: <laughs> I was thinking I, I still use it. <laughs> I was playing with I was playing some old time tunes with somebody up in Putney just recently and and uh, this was really a help because you know you one of the things that again I would talk with musicians about is what's your filing system. Yep. What's your mental filing system, yeah. you know, and uh, and uh, and so I realize for me it's often I need to know the key and I need to remember the first beginning notes. Help, knowing the name really helps me a lot because that's because I think a lot of these tunes are filed away by name, name and key and beginning phrase and uh, so that's how, how, how are they for you?
0: Well, I'm a piano player so, so you don't have to worry as
1: much. Right yeah. Here.
0: Although I do keep the tune list for buddy system because Noah is not a tune list keeping kind of fiddler. Yeah. Uh, I just, I internalize them somehow where I memorize them. But often you can just write down the first three letters of the tune and that's often just enough to grab it. You know, so I've seen people write like DCA or whatever the first three letters are. I've seen other people draw little tiny music staff with two bars of the tune. (laughs) What's your system? I don't have that. I just—it's really what I said. It's just by key, yeah, by
1: genre. So it's word and uh, and the name, yeah. And uh, it doesn't mean that I will now because it's been a while since I've played a lot of contra. I mean, I don't play that much contra anymore. But um, uh, then there's books. <laughs> so I find like the the Portland collection or something like that is really good, even though I don't play the tune the way it is in the book it it can give me the the landscape you know that's the other thing you know sort of seeing the the way the tune is laid out
0: that's the interesting thing about the Portland collections is that they use the version that was submitted to them
1: that's right which is
0: what makes sense I can't imagine doing it any other way but, of course, for all these tunes, there's many different versions floating around, some of which are regional.
1: That, like, exactly. Like, the Seattle group, or the Northwest group, rather.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And in the Midwest, I've heard different versions of tunes. And then there's New England versions of tunes, and which makes sense. And so it's, it's great to treat the Portland collections as uh, a collection. But it's not a definitive. This is how the tune goes. let
1: well, see. The thing that she did that's so good is that she made a discography. So in the back, mm-hmm. you know, she has an attribute to who you know who it, who gave her the tune, and then can also direct you to maybe listen to a to a CD that has mm-hmm. it on it, mm-hmm. or you know, uh, some recording. Yeah.
0: Right, because even the process of writing out a tune is...
1: Simplifying. It's a yeah. skeleton. Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. Right. Like, you really go back and listen to a recording of these tunes and say you're learning a tune from a particular fiddler, they play the tune four times, they won't play it the same way all four times.
1: And nor do you want them to. Right.
0: So which one is the quote-unquote right one that you put in the book? Right. You know? Exactly. Like, And that's why they're great tools, and there's just this wonderful diversity out there.
1: I think that's the hardest thing for people is to get off the written page that way and to make the tune their own. Mm-hmm. But one of the first things I learned, the very first workshop that I went to was an old time, the, the old time workshop down in, and, uh, uh, in West Virginia, Elkins, West Virginia. There was this guy, JP Fraley, who came and worked, he was an old timer and he, he, he listened to all these recordings at that time. There, there was a lot on the radio. And he said, then he just sort of turned, turn it off and remember the tune the best he could and kind of make his own version of it. And so his, his main message to us was, make the tune your own.
2: Mm.
1: And um, it was a, that was something I needed to hear right there at the beginning of this whole event, you know, I mean, this whole episode in my life, <laughs> which has been going on for 42 years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good chapter. yeah yeah make it your own it's important I mean otherwise it won't sound right right play it and make it your own what is that what does that end up meaning like what what kind of aspects of your fiddle style do you bring to tunes like this
1: well i'm sure that's changed you know because um i think uh as i get i love to i I love to make variations and to and to improvise to some extent but i'm not a wild improv improviser you know um the way some people i know are and Mm -hmm. um Usually if it's a good tune and I like it, I really want that to shine out, Mm -hmm. so shine forth I should say, you know, and um, so, I mean, there'll be just variations in it, it could be changing the octave, it could be just adding more notes, it can be, you know, making breaks in it, things like that, but I think think it's just uh, making variations in, you know, in the tune and uh sometimes be going into the minor if it's a major tune just playing playing with it being playful and that and and actually i was going to say that that's the thing that i like the best about playing uh singing squares Mm. because there is that sort of um swingy improvisational aspect to it yeah and uh and i I love the coloration of it, I love playing across, you know, against the voice and, uh, and, and backing up a voice, not, not imposing myself over the top of it, but, but just kind of playing around the edges of it and things like that. So it's, I really love playing for squares <laughs> and singing squares especially.
0: They're so much fun. Yeah. Well, it's funny. That's one of the things I really noticed about the Yankee Ingenuity vibe that I didn't I sort of took it for granted cuz it was the first regular dance I really went to that had a the same band over and over again. Yeah. And it was a swingier kind of groove than a lot of bands have now. Mm-hmm. And you play rags.
1: Right. And I love things like playing that. Rags. I, yeah.
0: So much fun. And something about that groove, like the hall changes because people don't take the dance very seriously. People start talking more. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that groove, it changes the whole feel in the hall. And I don't, a lot of bands these days don't play rags. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You know, it's a certain fiddle style that not all fiddlers want to do or are good at. Yeah. And you need the right backup player. Like it's like dadgad guitar being popular doesn't always lend itself to ragtime. Yeah. yeah, I think piano. Much.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm so spoiled for piano, I think. Yeah. Because it's, it, it's just such a, it's such a massive, and you're right. I mean, it's a massively varied, potentially varied instrument. Uh, and you're right that it's giving, um, it's almost like a jazzy interpretation. You know, with ragtime, you know, improv- definitely playful. For me, I guess the word is playful, and that, and I feel that with some of the French Canadian tunes as well. Mm. That that there's a there's something in the chord changes, and uh, that I go, ooh, <laughs> I can I can hear some things to do in that as a result of maybe these other just not one four five chords, but yeah you know you're you're doing to me much more interesting chord changes and whatever that's part of it, and also stride piano or bass lines or I don't know' just like yeah
0: there's more fodder there for you to improvise yeah. with and play around with yeah definitely it's not minimalist, no in that sense no yeah oh, but really I will fun.
1: say that. With a good dadgad player, that sometimes I feel very grounded because the rhythm is so solid and and uh, that some of the improvisation is almost easier. Mm. It's not like I sort of fall into the, the abyss <laughs> 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 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's something for both. I mean, it's really fun to ha- to be able to play... Both ways, I think.
0: Absolutely. But the
1: piano is, is is a far more versatile instrument in the right
0: hands. Yeah, for dance yeah. for dance backup. Yeah. Because you can do a lot of different kind of things. I mean, I love Dad gag guitar. Don't anyone get me wrong, even though I've been pretty piano-centric in this podcast so far, just because I'm biased. Oh, well, of course, yeah. And also because of its long history in, was in say, New England. Yeah. And because of the number of different kind of roles it can play. For a dance it's, and it's there's just something about the piano that's like part of the dance hall like if you go into a hall like the scout house and that piano sitting up there on that stage absolutely. it has a presence
1: it's true it's so traditional too i mean it's like piano and fiddle you don't need anything more
0: yeah yeah and i i but i do love dead gad guitar and the way it it really like sets the tune beautifully because it can be such a beautiful simple stable accompaniment for the tune
1: and I especially love it for for Irish music. I have to say mm-hmm. that, that um, that's, it, it, it gives us so much, can give so much drive, and, um, and also lyricism, too. Yep.
0: And I feel like any yeah. traditions that have pipes in them, I feel like Dad Ged works especially well for it because of its kind of droney quality. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, I've never played with pipes, so I
2: wouldn't know that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I just love, like, if you're listening to a pipe tune or a tune being played on pipes, whether they're Highland pipes or Illand pipes or Border pipes or whatever, and I'm not a piper. Please, if you have thoughts about piping, everyone, please write in to me. I'd love to know them. But uh, when you have a drone, whether it's a tonic or the fifth or whatever note you're droning on, it, it, the melody it almost becomes like a graph moving up and down for me and the x-axis is the tonic the root note and then the tune kind of has these beautiful landscapes of moving up and down and it has these moments of tension with the tonic or whatever the drone note is and moments of resolution with the drone note and i love those moments and Mm -hmm. that's a different kind of harmonic motion than when you play when you change the chord every time the tune changes a note You know, like if you're chording a tune and you if you're, you know, there's a a note that might be a tension, you change chords to the right chord.
1: But but I think, but I know pianists who don't do that. Mary Kay doesn't and nor does Kate. And I'm sure you don't either. It's like where you just let you ride that A7 chord through the entire B part and don't resolve it for a long time. yeah. (laughs) Yes, I know. It's all, it's a great, it's a great point of tension. Yeah. Potential.
0: Or just playing a one chord. I would happily play a one chord three times through a dance and let the tune have its moments. Some tunes that's not satisfying. They think that they need, they need chords. But I feel a lot of those are more modern tunes and a lot of older tunes. They don't need it in the same way.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Sometimes the less, less chord changes, the better. I mean, I know that that's the way Kate feels and, and but you can always come back to something like uh, Porky Deer, you know. <laughs> you go into the A on the second part and just hang out there for a long time. Yeah, it's really... But there's a lot you can do with a, with a good old D tune. A lot you can
0: yeah. do. Right. A lot you can do. So is... the thing I remember about the Yankee Ingenuity Dance is uh, not a lot of arrangements a very fun, and please correct me, this is like the lead-in to asking you about this, is that I, I imagine you all kind of having fun and it being about the interplay and like people, like Jack would take a mandolin solo and mm-hmm. then you'd have different fiddle moments and harmonies mm-hmm. and then there would be a rhythm break where Kate and Cal would stop playing and take out the bass and piano. Yeah. What Was that kind of your philosophy, essentially, as a band?
1: I think so. And you know, I didn't, I didn't really encounter Arrangements per se until I played with wild asparagus for a few years, mm-hmm. and uh, where things were much more prescriptive that way. I mean, still exciting, but it, it's just like I knew. I think that there were there were there were plans, you know, about how you were going to approach maybe a change or things like that, mm-hmm. uh, or you know how you were starting off. We did almost everything in in ingenuity was done on the fly. And sometimes we agreed, like, you know, just stay out for a couple of rounds Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and just let the fiddles take it for that. I mean, there would be something like that, or there would be a way of starting off, you know, very quietly and building up, you know, I mean, but but it would just be decided at that time, just as a, a device. And, but I was very aware of the fact that, you know, those are potential arrangements. But, but then, it was like sort of like with bare necessities, you kind of, you let it organically evolve. Yeah. That.
0: You can start yeah. with these ideas of what you want to do, but then you just let it go yeah. wherever it's going to go. Right. Are these kind of conversations you'd have like while the caller is doing the walkthrough and you're yeah. picking tunes? And- yeah. Thing. Okay, yeah. we'll start it this way and then we'll change to this or that. Or kind there of thing. might be
1: certain tunes, you know, I was thinking like uh, La Rondeuse. It's a very percussive tune and it sounds really great with just a single fiddle or two fiddles and feet. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody can do that. Or or a rhythm instrument if somebody if you don't have a if you don't have a, somebody doing stepping. And so It might be something that I would choose for that moment Mm -hmm. because I know I do it with that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it wouldn't, that wouldn't necessarily work with just any tune. So it has to, uh, it's, it's how you kind of learn to work, work over or how you like, or how you like to play certain tunes. And then those would be the ones you would choose at that moment. That seems appropriate. Mm
0: -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Would you keep your medleys together? Like, would you be like, let's play this medley? Or would you make them on the fly? Generally on the
1: fly, because we would be playing with different people, and people might not know all the tunes anyway. And uh, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there might be ones we we enjoyed grouping together, just because we like the change, you know, like, Ending on a high F and then going to an F-sharp and starting yeah. the next tune. You know, or just something that, that was particularly appealing. But, uh, yeah, we didn't... I mean, that, again, was different with Wild Asparagus, is that the tune the tune combination would be worked out ahead of time
3: yeah. and would be
1: rehearsed. And, of course, we never had rehearsals. <laughs> we, we only had rehearsals with Yankee Ingenuity when we were get re- getting ready for a recording.
0: Yeah, heating up the hall. Yeah. It's a fun album. What was that process like recording that? Um,
1: wow, well, so long ago. Um, well, I mean, anytime, playing with Ruthie Dornfeld for me <laughs> was a special treat. So, um, you know, uh, she and I would get together and work out on, you know, work out harmonies and some things that we'd want to do, or we will you know, we would, she played almost once a month, I think, you know, with Yankee Ingenuity anyway, so uh, we had a lot of time to play together, but, um, and I got together, also got together with her and played, uh, you know, played tunes, so, um, and then I guess we, we must have, we must have rehearsed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I have no,
2: I have no memory
1: <laughs> of that particularly said <laughs> oh man was probably like almost 30 years ago yeah I can't remember when that came out 91 or something like that I could just I don't know it was a long time yeah but I mean it, it, I do remember Lori Endenbaum saying people shouldn't be allowed to have so much fun when they're playing <laughs> <laughs> And and I realized that we were playing everything at sort of a, a bristling tempo, and, and it was uh, but it was just so, ebullient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It was, it had, yeah.
0: I love arrangements as much as the next person, but the number one quality I want in good dance music is that just that irresistible energy and that yeah. sense of fun yeah because that's what you want to be yeah Yeah. exactly that's what you want to have on the dance floor it inspires you to be fun and spontaneous on the dance floor right and and a lot of a lot of good years with that dance well and talk about you know playing with the same group for 18 plus years you know, you have to try new things yes. like, like, yeah. you know, Kate and I were talking about how boredom is a great boredom is the father <laughs> of invention. <laughs> yeah, <I think> or the mother. Said.
1: We're not sure which. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But then uh, the other thing too, um, both Kate and I also played in other groups, but I did do, you know, a whole bunch of different groups, you know, like BLT, you know, mm-hmm. playing with Bill and, um, Crazy Quilt was with uh, Peter Siegel and Anna Patton you know, when I was living here and, uh, and, I and with Dark Carnival Dark with Carnival. Lisa, yeah. yeah, Lisa Brown and uh, we just, all these different groupings of people and each one sort of had a different, different strengths mm-hmm. and uh, so made it, made it really interesting to play. I, I think I was grateful Grateful for that. And also that I played um, other kinds of music, too, so it wasn't just contra. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you've been obviously playing for English country dance for a long time. And
1: then the vintage dancing, too, because that started off really quite early.
0: that are exploring other styles of music. Yeah. Would you like to talk about those a little bit? Sure. Um, I, I
1: would say that one of the biggest con- contributors to that was uh, Ruthie because um, she was constantly seeming to to appear <laughs> with, with tunes from different traditions, you know, like these Brazilian, some Brazilian tunes, some, uh, you know, these Venezuelan waltzes that came via Morton Hoyrup's father from Denmark you know that brought this 12 wonderful Venezuelan waltzes to our attention and um, and then things with um, the other big the other big factor was working doing vintage dance music with Richard Powers um, playing when BLT played we went every summer for a number of years playing in Cincinnati for a dance week there where they were doing Vintage dance, so that was 19th century, early 20th century music that included tangos and ragtime, and, uh, uh, and of course, you know, mazurkas and other stuff, different kinds of waltzes from the 19th century, and so on. And so, uh, you know, all of that, the first, the first recording was based on two things was based on the pieces that Bill and, and Kate and I were playing for Richard Powers. And the fact that Kate had put out this huge volume of what she call, uh, called uh, "little couple dance music,"
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the 400 tunes with 170 waltzes in there, and so I, I drew um, maybe t- most of the pieces that is in that first album from from that volume. Interesting. And was uh, born out of that, you know, and Bill, Bill and Kate and I were sort of the, the featured core of most of that album, but then in, it included other people as well, you know, but for every, and I think nine of the 15 of those had Bill and Kate and I as the core band,
2: mm-hmm. but then
1: the others included people that I knew, you know, like David Cantini and Mary Kay and you know, just different, different, Ralph Ralph Gordon played on all of it, as played bass, and these different beautiful melody instruments, Ruthie, Ruthie mm-hmm. and I did a bunch on that. And then the other two albums just uh, were a little later on, so they incorporated, again, all these couple dance, I just love playing couple dance music, and um you know, Kate and I played a lot for the Waltz events and and really the vintage dancing went on for quite a while. So um it was constantly and and, and Ruthie was around too for a good part of that and some other pieces came via her or via other, uh, other people. Yeah. So that's how that happened.
0: Did you travel for the vintage dance events? Um Were mostly,
1: mostly to Boston? Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Um, but the first event was actually at Pinewoods. Hmm. And when uh, the Folk Arts Center, Marianne Taylor, had gotten BLT together to play a Contra international dance combination.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then that summer, she had Richard Powers and his wife Melanie Cougarstar come to teach vintage dance. That was for the first time... But they, I think they, they were invited, and uh, and that we were the band for that week, and so we were introduced suddenly to all this incredible, wonderful, interesting music, and you did have to be able to read, yeah, because most of it was was written, and that that would have eliminated some, you know, some of the sort of the dance musicians that. Didn't have a classical background, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Being able to sight-read quickly is especially valuable when you're in a long event where you're playing lots of different kinds of music and you need to have a really deep repertoire at your fingertips. Yeah, yeah. And the odds that everyone in the group knows all the same tunes are very slim. Yeah. Would Mm -hmm. you just have, like, at least one person... We would always do this thing where we would have, like, one person who definitely knows it and can kind of hold it down, and then everyone else is... You know, sight reading, or well, I I, I think
1: uh, we would have to we would have to woodshed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it, as much as possible. Sometimes with with uh, Richard, you wouldn't necessarily get the music until you got there, but mm-hmm. but you just have to uh, you know find some time to play it over, or you know uh, <laughs> sight read it.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, but he was a musician
1: too, so he could he could help us out with that. He's a pianist.
0: So he um, could give you a sense of get, like get, tempos oh, and yeah, feel. And,
1: oh, he's very persnickety about that in a in a good way. I mean when people are leaping in the air they they can't leap endless endlessly. The timing has to be pretty you know, make sense.
0: Yeah, it really makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Do any of those styles cross over into your contra playing? Do they change the way you play for contra dances?
1: Well, it's interesting that you should ask. I was just thinking one of the things that I listened to recently. I was I was playing for somebody because I've been playing this Brazilian choro music, chorinho mm. music, and um, uh, one of the pieces called it and it's it's a a very famous choro uh, piece that. You know, all the Shoto players would know. But um, I was playing in uh, at the Ann Arbor uh, Dawn Dance with. I was there actually to do English in place of Darren, who who couldn't come.
0: Darren Douglas. Uh, Darren
1: Douglas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was playing with um, Paul Ortz and David Weisler, and then Naomi was there with Jeremiah. And uh, God, who's the sixth person there? Oh, probably, hmm, probably a bass player. I was just trying to remember who that was. Who the sixth player was. Um, but they were there as the contraband. And oh, oh, I know, Oren Morrison. Morrison. Yeah.
0: So it was probably like a version of Night Watch, maybe, yeah. but with Jeremiah and Elby yeah. Miller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Right. That's that's exactly it. So, so the six of us and and Naomi and I had learned that for one of the Child's Play concerts, we had played this. Brasiliano there together and so I knew she knew that Jeremiah knew it and uh both Paul and David did too so and on I mean so there we were and it was like the last dance of the evening and it was just like it is such a crashing tune it's a 64 bar tune that is so much fun to play and uh, you know that so that that Chico Chico no Fubá, which I, mm-hmm. yeah, that's another good one. That's that's um, that's sort of like doing a ragtime. I mean, they, they, it has a raggy elements because it's in the same era, but Brazilian, mm-hmm. and so um, you know, it's, it's it's got the potential to be fun
0: that way. Yeah. How did the dancers respond to it?
1: Oh, great. Oh, yeah. They start moving differently. Yeah. <laughs> just the way they do with a rag. Yeah, Right. I know what you mean. It's sort of like they loosen up and more parts of their body start moving.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like they forgot they had those parts of their yeah. bodies.
1: Right. <laughs> 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 right. Yeah, it's really fun. It is fun to watch that. I mean, just the way it is when you do a very slinky tune, you know, and people start getting down low and hunkery down. And, or you play a tango or something and they start to do this classic... Uh, arm out front you know you do a tango or a swingy doing like um buy me a wrist or something like that and just it it makes people throw in a few extra twirls and whatever yeah
0: yeah <laughs> yeah when um, you were learning traditional fiddle music who were your fiddle teachers and inspirations
1: Well, I think, I mean, I think Donna was one. I mean, she was a great, she's she's a a great Quebecois player. Um, uh, Ruthie surpassed them all, though. And I think it's partly because she just has this incredible rhythm Mm -hmm. and um, coloration and uh, drive and variety. I mean, just, just, uh, I could never... it's was always so elusive to me, <laughs> but I, I was always inspired, um, you know, I think it's just, um, uh, Rodney, definitely too, because I heard him a lot. Did you ever play well, with him? I guess maybe, probably we wound up at some places together, but yeah. I, I don't have so much a memory of that. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't in Boston the way Ruthie was, so. Right. She was somebody I would see and she was just a friend, so um, that meant a lot. I was trying to think who else. Um, I mean she was the most at hand. Andy Wolf, too. I don't know if you ever knew him, but he no. played he played old time. A very funny guy. And uh, and yeah, and, and also very inventive and And when he would come to play, his one strength was he could he could make up gibberish.
0: (laughs) Musical or verbal?
1: (laughs) Verbal. In in any, and I mean he was a chameleon. I mean, it's like he could he could sing Hawaiian music, and I mean sing Hawaiian, although he didn't speak it. But he knew the thirteen letters of the alphabet, and he could sing in those thirteen letters, and then he could sing a Spanish sounding thing, so we'd play these Venezuelan waltzes together and then he would start singing a song that sounded like Spanish and people would come up and say, I didn't know that had words to it, what are you singing? So, but he's just such a stitch and we do Russian the same way, so if we were playing Mezzacuchia or something that sounded very Russian, he would make it sound Russian. Um, But yeah, very inspirational um, player yeah very, very quite quite good although I didn't necessarily aspire to play like him but I think he was very influential
0: mm-hmm.
1: just just his approach mm-hmm. said uh, fun
0: yeah <laughs> it can be very inspiring yeah I so, think
1: I think fun is fun is an important ingredient
0: <laughs> it's yeah like the
1: important ingredient.
0: I know, it's kind of easy to forget that, like, when I'm doing these interviews sitting on the porch, because we're not dancing, and we haven't, we're talking about dancing, which is really meta and weird. Like, the best way to learn about dance music is to sit at dances and record it and talk to people about it, but we can't do that right now, and so it's fun. these memories bring back that sense of fun and whimsy, and it's really nice. And like I said, I would love to go dancing on a cold fall day like this. Yes. You know, go inside
1: where it's, where it's warm and cozy and disgustingly like, yeah.
0: humid inside. <laughs> <laughs> all the windows at the scout house would be all fogged up.
1: Right. And they would have
0: to tape off the entrance so that people wouldn't walk across the floor with their wet shoes. That's so you have right. to like go down the side of the hall and around on the carpet and take off your shoes and But that just added to the magic, you know, the fact that you have to work for it a little bit more to get to the dance (laughs) just made it a little bit more fun. Mm. And you're just so glad to see other people and be in a warm room. You know, so many times I remember opening the doors and just feeling that that blast of damp heat. (laughs) That's right, (laughs) yes. Kidding you in the face. As long as
1: it doesn't come with the smell of the gym.
0: Well, that too, (laughs) the smell of the dancers. Speaking of smells of gyms, you were an organizer of the Brattleboro Don Dance uh, for, That's true. for quite some time. Yeah. What was that like? Well, actually, I realized I, I was always
1: helping organize because there was another, there were, there were events in Boston as well that was uh, raising money for uh, dance musicians. It was a dance musicians fund. And that was another, that was one dance that I organized for. And then also composer's dance. For about four or five years, we would run these composer's dances and people would send in a gazillion tunes. It started off small, but then then there would be maybe like a hundred tunes that we would have to wade through.
2: Hmm.
1: And I'll tell you, that is challenging because you have to get to play them well enough, you know, so that you can decide whether you like them or not. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're just sort of sight reading them and that doesn't flow. Anyway, that was... That was happening in Boston, and then when I moved here, yeah, the dawn dance was uh, was a great big committee. It was it's like all the all kinds of friends from town, and uh, and uh, we although when it never seemed like we had enough people because there's a lot to do for a dawn dance. It was it was challenging. I was the person who booked it, so when when I took that over. Uh, then my job was mostly that I had to book eight bands and because it was also English in the afternoon, but three contra dance bands each t- twice a year. Yep. And and callers, and then try to get the numbers of bands to have. I always had to have a at least at least one, maybe two bands with piano. <laughs> That's my bent.
0: I love that you would always do that. <laughs> yes.
1: And I was very conscious of the the. The female male gender balance issue. I mean, I would if I were looking at other, you know, other events elsewhere, and I would see that they were all guys. I would just say, how can they do that? There's so many good women musicians. But yeah, so um, yeah, getting the right balance. I mean, getting the right number of musicians so that the shares would be large enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so it'd have to be bands with. Two, you know, at least three, probably three. And if it was a big band like Wild Asparagus, which draws a lot of people, you drew a lot of people. Yeah. But that would have five or six people. And then you'd have to, I'd have to have smaller bands around that, you know. Oh, the plan was to have a more traditional sounding one for the first four hours. And then Uh Middle Shift would have kind of a wild card element to it. Uh I mean, that's what made somebody like lizard, lizards really good or, or um, uh, you know, th- things with um, the Van Nordstroms in it or whatever, you know. Uh, and then the early morning could just be really kind of a groove band in a way because you wanted to just be able to have the caller not waste a lot of time on calling mm-hmm. I mean, not complicated dances yep. They you had to sort of call and then get out of the way and just let the music you know ride people through the morning right so um, so it was really it was it was, um, it was interesting it got harder as time went on because these all these dances have their ebb and flow and when you hit the ebb part <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and not as many people are coming because there's a lot of other dances to go to. Um, then you know it's a challenge to say, can you c- come and play for, s-? but it might not be very much money and things like that. Yeah. It's a big, and and then there was also the cooking issue. The the that was a very challenging thing, you know, having food in that during the night, right, and uh, having that be worth somebody's while to come in and offer that
0: right especially now that i live in brattleboro i know that there is nowhere to get food after 9 p.m yeah except maybe a pizza but you know yeah i know but people dancing all night concha dancers are notorious for eating large amounts of food constantly well
1: except that what happened is that as the dance as more younger dancers came they brought their food right (laughs) so they weren't interested in spending the money for that
0: right and so you have to it make was it really
1: older dances that would that would have the discretionary funds to you know pay for that
0: yeah pay for the vending of
1: yeah the food i mean, it's, it's understandable
0: what years do you think were the heyday like the biggest years of the non dance oh
1: my god i don't know
0: maybe a lot there, of them
1: <laughs> there, there could have been uh uh, you know, when it first started, there were like four in the year. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When it first started with Michael McKernan and uh, I don't know Applejack maybe, um, and and then um, yeah, it, it it was it was quite a. I I don't I don't have the history of that down in my head actually, um, but I think when when Contras were starting to flourish and before a lot of other dance events opened up it was probably the biggest time for for brattleboro dawn dance i mean at some point everybody started cashing in saying hey we should have our own events and yeah. so people didn't have to travel as far yeah and, um, but you know there were certain bands like Nightingale or um, uh, when I certainly remember, I mean uh, uh, Wild Asparagus, of course. You know, thinking of local bands, you know that would, whenever they came would, or something with Mary Kay and Rodney or you know Airplane or Airplane or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. Thinking, thinking back in that era, mm-hmm. we we'll draw, we'll draw big groups. Yeah, yeah, right.
0: Yeah, I think you know, there's been a trend, like other organizers have pointed out, in the last few years, there's been a lot more all-day dance events, like multiple, like various kinds of contra thons or three band events, mm-hmm. or, you know, Steve Zaykahn-Anderson St. has his ball series, the yeah. fall ball and the play ball and the snowball. And, right. And, you know, he was saying that numbers go down because now there's a lot more events like that. Yeah. You know, there you can find all day dancing at the Greenfield Grange once in a while for special events. You can find it in Peterborough. You can go to the Dawn Dance. They do them in Portland, Maine sometimes now, they have it in D.C., you know, they started one in Boston and, you know, they were also doing, in Amherst for a while, they were doing Contra Evolution for a few years, which was like electronic music and things like Perpetual Emotion. Right, right. And it's wonderful, like what an amazing diversity, except that we have to recruit dancers fast enough to be able to go to all these events and not water down the whole dancing. That's right. You know, because I don't think anyone's trying to compete with anyone else. You know, we just all want to have fun, yeah, and organize events. But if you're drawing from the same pool of dancers, your calendar gets very full. Yeah, can't do everything. That's right. And then,
1: and then there's attrition. You know. Yeah. I mean, and there was something even that changed a lot in the course of Yankee ingenuity, which was that, you know, the Thursday night dance drew off, you know, Todd's dance drew off people to that Um, and uh, Monday night went through some evolutions and it it, you know I think in some ways some of the dances got to be maybe more what 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 people characterize as urban Mm. you know people came for the exercise they wanted to keep moving the whole time Mm -hmm. and and then there are some of the smaller dances and, and the way maybe Yankee Ingenuity Scout House used to be, that they were more community based.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you came, you came to be with your friends. I mean, it's always that. And then there was the generational thing that mm-hmm. started to happen too. Some of the older dancers seemed to be not, you know, to feel a little bit expendable, I think, mm. not connecting. Always with the younger dancers. Mm -hmm. Or feel, yeah. It's just a. Yes, lots of changes. Yeah. Understandably.
0: Yeah. And that feeling of like being expendable or not being connected to the dance can come from a few different ways. It can come from just the dancers not asking you to dance, younger dancers. That's right. You know, in. Especially at the Thursday dance in Boston there was the fireplace set for a long time which is literally a set of dancers who didn't want to dance anywhere else in the hall. And that could... Oh that's
1: when it moved to the scout house it was no that's longer right. the VFW e- exactly. hall. Exactly. Right. That's right.
0: Exactly. And that kind, you know, center set syndrome or side set syndrome happens at a lot of different dances. You know, it's certainly not unique to Boston. It's something we have to watch out for. But then also the music changing, you know, I, when I was a new country musician, I would have some older dancers come up to me and say that, and I guess when I say older, I mean long time dancers. Yeah, right. You can be a young, old dancer. Yeah. But they, they would say that they missed the slower tempos of the past. And perhaps that is mostly older dancers or people who are having a hard time moving around at such a fast yeah. tempo. Well, they,
1: they haven't yet moved over to English.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> <Dancing. laughs> they haven't crossed over. <laughs> they haven't
1: crossed over. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And then you can get that kind of divide in the community a little bit, and then you start to lose that festive party spirit. Right.
1: I mean, it, I, I really stopped dancing so much, but um, I think I like best, you know, parties, like the, somebody's birthday party or... Whatever. And and it was a group of people who were a community of friends. And I didn't really care what we danced, but I must say, I probably preferred squares. So it's just you're dancing in that little set. And um, anyway, yeah, so anyway, as I say, I don't play contras so much anymore. Just in the context of maybe a weekend event.
0: Like if you're at a weekend that has other kinds of music as well. Yeah,
1: mostly there as an English musician, but then (laughs) there'll be some Contra, and then I'll play that too. Right. Yeah.
0: You're a great kind of musician to book for those things. I think organizers have a special list of people who play both Contra and English. Right. For these kind of hybrid weekends, (laughs) or if they want a mostly waltz kind of event or couple dancing. Right or whatever, so that versatility is really, really useful. Yeah, I mean, the Yankee Ingenuity Dance seem to have a lot of changes over the years. You know? And, uh...
1: I know, when it would when it would ebb, particularly badly, we'd, we'd do a questionnaire and have people say, what's the problem here? <laughs> and of course it's, it's very sobering, you know, when you kind of get the responses.
0: A lot of factors, for yeah. sure. And also when the halls changed, you know, like the when the Yankee Ingenuity Dance was at the Scout House and it had that feel, but then the VFW Dance was at the VFW, but when they both were at the Scout House, then people could go to either one, and I think that also changed the community feel a bit.
1: Well, sure, because the VFW was closer to Cambridge. I mean, you know, it would have been more of a in in town kind of event concord was outside outside of town yeah
0: yeah that's right yeah
3: bow to your partner it's your corner all left all left weave around don't touch you're leaving me i'm leaving town now chipsy by the right oh look me in the eye you your corner too Dove, oh, you are the darling and the idol of my heart, Bell, promenade, look, and I'll take you home. I always said you'd row, most oh, swing me, my lady, love, goodbye. Chips, star by the right hand, star right around you, go. Your partner left, oh, please, don't go. Now the lady star by the right hand, star right around that square. Turn your partner by the left hand, then leave him there and swing your corner for a long time. Swing me that corner guy, he's got a and I Oh, hurt me, refuse me, you'll be sorry when you lose me Promise me, look and I'll take you home I always said you'd roam, oh goodbye, my lady love, goodbye just star by the right hand, star right, around you go Turn your partner by the left hand, you go once and a half Now the lady star by the right hand, go once Around that square, turn your partner by the left hand, and then Swing your corner, ready to swing. Swing me that corner guy. He's got a robe and I hurt me. Refuse me, you'll be sorry when you. Too. It makes me cry, swing your partner Swing me, my lady love You are my turtle dove Oh, you are the darling and the idol of my heart Now, me, look and I'll take you home I always said you'd roam Oh, goodbye, my lady love, goodbye square turn your plate fire- The right, oh, look me in the eye. Your corner, too, it makes me cry. Swing your blunders off. Swing me, my lady love. You are my turtle dove. Oh, you are the darling and the idol of my come comedy. Look, and I'll take you home. I always said you're wrong. Swing me, my lady love. Goodbye, my lady love. Oh, goodbye, my lady love. Goodbye. What are your
0: favorite kinds of dance? Like, did you dance much as a as a dancer? Like, what are your favorite bands to dance to back when you used to dance? I, you know,
1: I
2: um,
1: there are a lot of bands that are fun fun to dance to for different reasons, um, you know, from over the years, and um, um, I always liked. I always liked Nightingale, because I think uh, they were musicians, musicians mm-hmm. to me. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, a lot to listen to, and uh, and I also I also, you know, have to go back to Wild Asparagus. I really enjoyed that a lot because um, they did a variety of tempos and they crafted their dances. I mean, it, it was it was fun to hear all of the different different things going on that way. Um but you know the ones that I would hear at the um uh the all night dances, you know, the the Brattleboro Dawn dance. There wasn't a band I didn't like in there. You yeah. Know, that, um and and uh and I really appreciated you know, hearing sort of the younger musicians coming along mm-hmm. and and everybody had something different to offer, so, or at the Flurry, that would be another place, Mm -hmm. you know, where you would hear um, the different groups play, so, but I, I, I didn't join in the fray, like at the Flurry, with 400 (laughs) other dances in the dance hall, it just wasn't my thing, yeah, (laughs) I'd, I'd rather go and talk with somebody who came from across the country, you know, and, and, and do that. I always loved your playing. I mean, you're you're a great you're a great musician, and uh, it's, it's, um, but I have I, and and uh, yeah. Anyway, I I think many of my my favorite bands that I dance to are dated. You know, they're from from some time ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Although I've heard many of the bands. You know, as long as I was working at the Rattleboro Dawn Dance I was always hearing you know new bands so that was good yeah.
0: there have been some amazing bands that have come through the Dawn Dance over the years and I just I've had many wonderful moments of dancing back when I used to dance a lot but some of my most memorable moments of dancing were at the Dawn Dance especially mm-hmm. in the early hours like one year, perpetual Motion played there and mm-hmm. It, that music just propelled us yeah, in the most amazing way. And Bill Olson was calling, and he just called this perfect, balancey dance. that fit with the tune so perfectly, and it was just... It was bliss. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there's been so many good bands at the Dawn Dance over the years. Like, oh, did you
1: ever hear, like, Fresh Fish, you know, with Carrie Elkin, or... or... Nat I, Hewitt's band, you know. Yeah, and, like uh, Rumble Strip. Yeah. Or, and, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, there's... I didn't get to dance to Carrie very much. Yeah. I did dance to Nat for a few years. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just, yeah. And, like, all of Larry Unger's various bands, and Amy oh, Larkin, yeah, Eden, and even Notorious. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, Notorious, right?
0: yeah. Really
3: good stuff.
0: And, and then I, you somehow spent some time playing with Child's Play. Yeah. But I was just going to say, and also oh, yeah, Tidal
1: yeah. Wave, because, again, and also, I mean, any of the bands that Mary Kay played with. But, I, you know, this is, there could be either specific fiddlers that I was drawn to or a specific pianists. <laughs> and, and that would be, you know, I mean, Rochelle Coin's playing, I just have always found just, just totally energizing. And She's same with amazing. Mary Kay. I mean, full of drama, you know. Yeah. And, and the And again, you. I mean, and uh, and then listening to Audrey, you know, and the bands that she played. The, what is it? The Free Raisins or something. Yeah. yeah. Audrey Canood. I, I I liked, I liked hearing them. Uh, yeah. Many. Yeah. Charles Play was a long. I was there for many years. Early on, right from the beginning. Almost the beginning, but not to the end. <laughs> <laughs> it, it conflicted with bare necessities, so yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you spent many years traveling the country with bare necessities.
1: Yeah, that's the longest band. I mean, we've been together since nineteen
0: eighty. It seems like a silly question, but tell me if it's interesting or not. What to you are the biggest differences between playing for English country dance and contra dancing? Um,
1: Well, one of them is the dynamic that when you're playing for English, you do not choose the you do not you musician Mm -hmm. do not choose the tune; Mm -hmm. it's chosen by the caller.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So it means that. Uh, you're not fighting with each other <laughs> yes. over her. you know. I mean, I remember that. It's like, okay, who who gets to play to their strengths on this one? Right. Sometimes, sometimes. Well, I don't play that so well, but if you really want to do it, go ahead. But then, you know. So there's, there's that. That's that's a that's an important element. Second, second thing is that um, we all have to. Um, be able to read, and the music, because there's. I was just looking at the number of tunes in each of those books that Kate Barnes has done. There's like, altogether about eleven hundred or twelve hundred tunes that have single have dances for them, and yeah. as you know, each dance has its I mean, almost invariably has its own tune. So right. that's another major difference, and so you're 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 playing from a lead sheet of. Twelve, maybe, maybe there's twelve hundred tunes. You know, you could be playing any one of those.
0: That's too large a repertoire to memorize.
1: Oh for me it is. <laughs> I don't know Jacqueline has a lot of it
2: memorized.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but um, but uh, so that so that's another thing. And then I think one of the things that Bare Necessity sort of brought into the mix for English was. Being kind of creative with it and coming up with counter melodies and, and harmonies mm-hmm. and so that's something that we just expect to do now mm-hmm. and uh, and, um, and then you're also you know you're playing to the dance as you are with Contra but but uh, there's maybe more variety in the kind of dancing with English certainly more more formations
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know two couple three couple four couple sets circles Long lines, um, triple minors. I mean, you're just like this whole range of ways. And then playing in almost every key. So, you know, you don't do that with with Contra.
0: Flat keys. Yeah, you don't play in
1: C minor (laughs) very often or, you know. I love flat
0: keys on the piano. I don't know if it's all those years I spent playing Chopin nocturnes as a kid, but I just love flat keys they have a
1: certain sound don't they? they do yeah
0: yeah and you know i've often talked about this with people everyone's brains perceive music differently but to me if i were playing in d flat mm-hmm. it would sound different to me than a piece in c sharp oh that's interesting sure which <laughs> doesn't make any sense because they're right. unharmonic they're the exact same notes right but somehow, I don't know if it's the kind of material, like if you think about like Rachmaninoff's Prelude in C Sharp Minor versus, you know, a beautiful Chopin Nocturne in D flat. I don't yeah. know if it's just the, the music, but for some reason for me, if I'm thinking about it in sharps, it sounds different than in flats. I don't think there's any... I've never found what the basis for that is. <laughs> that's, that's
1: very interesting. But I, I mean, I, I could see how I would, I would think that too, and it could be... Something that has no bearing in reality, really, but but more in, in just like a perceptual thing, like something that's sharp is going to just feel
0: brighter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, whether it is or not, I don't know. Whether it's associations with the kind of instruments that play it, yeah. you know, like you hear a lot more fiddles and sharp keys, Yeah. like A and D and G, or if it's the kind of repertoire that's written for it or the kind of chord voicings that are being used in that repertoire. But uh, I have perfect pitch, which is—it's not like a. Some people are like you have perfect pitch, but I'm not bragging about it. Sometimes it's the biggest liability. It's really oh, a be- pain.
1: I remember Lydia says that too. It's like, what do you do when the pla- when the when the piano was like off a pitch, or you're playing with somebody who's not on pitch?
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been there before. Yeah. This is another story for another time. But I played my grandmother's funeral because I was a church organist. Yeah. And they asked me to play and it was in Pennsylvania at a chapel i'd never been to and as an organist you do this all the time that's what prepared me for being a pianist is all these years of an organist because you mm. walk up to an instrument you've never played before and you have to perform on it that's right right then and we it was amazing grace that's like easy that's like you know yeah the bread and butter of organist music and we started playing it And the organ was three steps sharp. Oh,
1: my God. I guess
0: the person who was a regular organist had transposed it somehow to make it easier to sing with the choir. Oh. And I could not read the music. It was making my brain explode because when I play, I hear the note in my head that is written on the sheet music already. Even if I don't play it, I hear it just by reading it. And so... It was like all the wrong notes. My brain kept telling me I was playing the wrong thing. And I kept being like, no, brain, we're fine. So I finally had to just stop looking at the music and play Amazing Grace by memory. Yeah. You know, anyway, this is like a real digression. But I just think about keys a lot in dance music and the kind of feelings they evoke. And especially on the fiddle, you know, the number of open strings that you have.
1: That's right. Affects. Like resonance. It affects, definitely affects the resonance of the instrument. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I like that's one of the things I really like about playing this country dance music is that you're playing in you know like G minor and C minor and E flat and I mean all just different keys so now it's more challenging and just gives you a different sound on the instrument and Mm -hmm. of course since I play viola too it allows me to drop over often drop some of those keys are better. Like I love playing C minor on the viola, of course, because mm-hmm. the bottom inst- the bottom note is a C, you mm. know, and um, it's just really rich.
0: There's no reason we can't play in those keys in contra dance. There's no rule against it. No, but a lot
1: of um, I know since I taught piano, for, I mean <laughs> taught uh, fiddle for so long, I know that it's, it's a challenge for people to, if they're an adult, to get their hands around the half you know like the half steps yeah like playing an E flat you're just doing a really scrunchy first finger on the D string
0: yeah and
1: uh, it's 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 just really hard often for people to hear the pitch right Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: be able to reproduce it
0: right there's Um. a few New England tunes in flat keys like there's tunes in F for sure oh yeah And a few tunes in B flat yeah and a couple in E flat but they don't go much past that.
1: That's that's it, yeah. I think those are like Scottish in origin. I mean it, the Scottish tradition definitely has more variety that way.
0: I wonder if that's related well, to Well, I think pipes. that's
1: a more classical I mean, so much of the Scottish music is written down. And people even in Cape Breton I remember visiting this guy who, who played at the square dances. That's where I first learned to play by ear. Uh-huh. You know, was at a at a camp there, and uh, Joe Kennedy. But you go to his house, and you just have stacks of music. You know, so everybody read music. You know, even the, you know there. So um, and so Scott Skinner and all those players had had lots of different keys that they they played in. Just as the dancing, you know, had that sort of balletic tradition too the highland dancing which was very much born out of ballet you know so sort of Mm -hmm. a just different yeah yeah
0: I feel fun to think about when you were putting medleys together as a contra fiddler do you have thoughts about what keys go well together oh yeah Yeah. what are your usual go-to um well um sometimes sometimes rising
1: up to a it could be rising up to an A tune mm-hmm. uh, on the fiddle, anyway. You know, is bright, can, is bright, but uh, so that that can often be a good ending tune. But also, the key, if, if the character is driving, the fact that it's an A might not matter at all. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but uh, I like going, you know, changing modes. So if it's a minor to major, or you know really having um you know a strong change like that. So it could be like an A tune to an A minor tune or vice versa or um I love doing sometimes quirky ones. I remember doing something in in English I was that in the English tradition actually there's there's a tune called Jacob Hall's jig that is written out I think in F minor uh but it's actually usually played in E minor, and because of the instruments that we had, we had a couple of saxophones. Mm. Um, it, it was at the end of the you know the end of the weekend, and all six of us were playing together, and so we started off in F minor, and then dropped to E minor, and had all of that you know the horns just kind of go play out on that note, you Aww. know, and just like it was just like so it kind of hit you right in that solar plexus
0: or something yeah (laughs) dropping down that half step so Um,
1: I mean that kind of thing is can be very effective and with if you have depending on what your instrumentation is you know or the pianist what the pianist can do to uh bring out bring out these changes with drones and things like that so it's a or whatever they do
2: mm Mm-hmm. yeah
1: now, you usually don't stay in the same key yeah, going across a medley. Do you?
0: Not usually. No. Yeah. But, again, I was like, well, is that because that's just what everyone around me did?
1: I think it's because it's noticeable. Right. And if you're dancing, it has to sort of hit you on the head.
0: Right. It's like kind of after a while, what's the point of changing tunes? Like, you know, Dudley Loughman would say, well, if a tune's not worth playing 20 times, why is it worth playing at all, you know? Um, So if you are going to change tunes, it should be noticeable or else what's the point? Right. You know, so I've tried playing two. I do sometimes like playing two similar tunes next to each other in the same key for like a subtle change. But Mm -hmm. that's more like a variety thing or an experiment thing.
1: Might be on a doing a groove, a groovy set.
0: Yeah. The time I will put two tunes in the same key next to each other is if I'm changing time signatures.
1: Oh, yeah. That's like a
0: jig to a reel and the key yeah. same key signature is really nice. Or a halftime style tune to a reel mm-hmm. is really nice mm-hmm. the same key. Don't change too many things. But I, I've worked with some fiddlers who are very dogmatic about key changes. Oh, yeah. And they're like, you can't go from D to B flat. And I'm kind of like, why not? Yeah. Well, because <laughs> well, often I'm it I'm sounds the same bad. Way, I'm the same
1: way with you. And
0: it, it, a lot of it depends on.
1: Uh, you know, knowing the players, mm-hmm. you know, if you're when you're just getting together with people you don't know, you might make assumptions about how they're going to play. But, but actually, if you know the player well, you know, I mean, like Kate is always going to figure out a way to make an interesting transition. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just it's just built into her DNA. You know, at this point,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah and can can do it sometimes with not much time to spare, That's like shouting out
0: Give it <laughs> Right, and then you all of a sudden you have four beats to figure out quarterly how to get from one that's place right. to an entirely different place.: That's right. I do love that challenge. Yeah well, good. So yeah. that's what
1: makes it it makes it fun and spontaneous then.
0: That's why I like doing weird keys next to each other, but of course it has to you know. I mean, some of say sound that didn't work. right. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. And often it depends on what the last note of the tune is and the first note of the next tune and the phrasing of the two tunes and how well they run together. I feel exactly. like sometimes that's even more important than what keys they're in. I can massage many things harmonically, but if the tune itself, if they don't fit well together, you, I can't fix that.
1: Well, that's up to the melody players either to, to change the ending in some way to make it fit right. to the next one. I know, I have to think about it. Right. I'd try to make that adjustment in my head or before I start, Uh huh. because I can see that some things are not gonna work.
0: I have like an exit strategy for how to get out <laughs> yeah. of that tune into or, the next or one. Or maybe
1: these two really aren't good together for just that reason, yeah, oh boy.
0: So when you're teaching contra fiddlers, what are the kind of things that you teach them? What are the most important fiddling basics?
1: Well, you know, when I, when I did that, uh, when I did those workshops, I actually made, uh, I made tapes back in the day. There were tapes um, of some of my, just browsing through all this contra dance material that I had all these different recordings and finding like uh, good transitions. hmm Finding interesting melodies, medleys. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Looking at endings and beginnings. Looking at uh, timbre changes. um, You know, um, and maybe, maybe jig to reel, that kind of change. Mm -hmm. You know, what would work? So I had examples of those, and I would have people. I mean, I that would be something I'd sent out ahead of time so that they could with maybe a series of questions you know and and just things to listen for Mm -hmm. and um, and that would be in really to kind of bring a little bit more of an analytical idea you Mm -hmm. know approach to things and so when the dancers I mean it was really interesting when they came when they were at Pinewoods they would often just sit up on the stage And listen to the musicians. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So part of it was the musical side of it. Part of it was the interpersonal side, Mm -hmm. which is always a big one. And so in working with, you know, I'd work with people in groups. And it was, uh, you know, having them really try to be clear and respectful of people's strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, you, you could have one person. This person could maybe solo, but that person would not be comfortable doing that so don't put don't put somebody in that position right somebody is maybe more organized than the other you know somebody but does that person just because they're a better organizer should they be the leader do you want a leader do you not want a leader do you you know how are you going to work and settle your differences Mm -hmm. in this and how are you going to vouch for yourself if you're a, a shy person it's like like Really, this is going to leave me out because I can't do this, you know. Right. So um, I don't know. There's a lot of interpersonal stuff that that, and, um, and then also communication when you're playing. So it's like, how are you indicating it's your turn to take a lead, you know, or who's doing that, or how are you deciding that? You're not going to always plan that out ahead of time, you know. You mm-hmm. you, you have to come up with certain body cues and and uh, you know ways of talking but not talking and nonverbal yes absolutely. nonverbal communication. Yeah so I mean there's stuff like that, that what I w- would work with.
0: I've learned a lot of that kind of communication by screwing it up. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like a lot of bands have this kind of story where I'm on the other side of the stage from the fiddler as a piano player and the fiddler can't really talk while they play so they can only get a few words out and the the notorious example is where you say like don't go any faster and right. I no hear all you faster, hear is faster right write. so we made a few rules that first of all you only speak at least for my bands it was like only speak in the positive say what yeah. you want to happen not what is happening yeah and use as few words as possible and then there are words that rhyme with other words right which is really problematic That's right so funny yeah
1: And And then there's about the nonverbal things like where where you kind of lift your head, you know, sort of nod at somebody. Yeah. Is that saying you take it or I'm going to take it? Right. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? Right. And and how do you indicate that?
0: Right. I would. And then finally, I was like, well, I'll jerk my head backwards if it means I'm going to take it. And I'll point my head at you if it means you're going to take it. Right. Or some people can take a finger and point at people or themselves, depending on what instrument you play. So funny. And then there's chord... You know, some people yell chord symbols. Some people yell letters. Some people yell numbers.
2: Yeah.
0: Some people uh, do this thing where you lean to one side for the four chord and lean to the other side for the five chord, and <laughs> the one chord is straight up and down. <laughs> and then of course there's the changing, like when you're gonna change tunes. Yeah. 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 How do you do that usually? Um, yeah, that that that
1: can be. Uh... change i mean just like yeah kind of trying to pass it along
0: right whatever it is it has to be definitive yeah because there's nothing worse than that feeling of panic when you're like are we switching i don't know are we and then or i've you know we've all had moments where one person doesn't get the memo and they don't switch and then you're in two different keys at the same time yeah those are valuable those are like basic concert dance band skills that's right that you mentioned
1: it's true, and um, you know it it, it, it. it takes a while to kind of get comfortable with that, and also to to be assertive. I mean, you can't be timid about it. If you're, it, it if you're slightly timid, you're not sure what that person wants to do, and uh, and it's okay to be assertive. But then sometimes it could be too much. So, <laughs> That's it. Oh well.
0: <laughs> well, we we uh, we all do our best. Yeah. Well, I, I think you have a you have an interesting you have like an ear for these kinds of subtle band dynamics. And I, I when I was a new English player and I was playing with you a few times at the Wednesday Boston dance, mm-hmm. I remember afterwards. I mean, I was terrified to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were so nice, and like there was no reason I should be terrified, except that. Being a new English player can be terrifying. Oh yeah, I completely get that. It's yeah. like you're in a, it's like you're at a thing that everyone else knows it except you, where the dancers yeah. know the tune, the caller knows the tune. I mean, how tune. would you know? Yeah, there's only one way yeah. to learn. Um, yeah. But you, you noticed these very subtle things about my playing, and then afterwards, you just said them to me in the most helpful, supportive way. of like, did you know that when you play in 3-4, you're cutting off the end of the third beat just a little bit? And I said, huh, thank you. I didn't know I was doing that. And I went home and I practiced with a metronome. And I I realized that when I was nervous, I'd actually went back to old recordings of myself playing and Hmm. listened back to them to see if I could hear what you were talking about. And I realized it was when I was nervous or excited that I was doing that. And so then I was...
1: That's not atypical. I mean, there, there yeah. are other people who do that, too.
0: It's a, I think it's yeah. a very common thing yeah, in is, reels yeah. or jigs or whatever to cut off the end of either your measures or the end of a B part or the A part, you know, because you're, like, kind of speeding up. And so then that sent me on this really fun journey of, like, learning how to rhythmically anchor myself.
1: Wow. So and, that, and as as the rhythm player, what could be more important? Well, exactly. It's kind of my yeah. job, right? That's your so job. Like, and, it, I mean, that's such a great... Um, Great thing to actually spend time with, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I spent time with a metronome and played with the metronome until it felt effortless to play with the metronome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that thing, that joke of like, oh, this metronome is always dragging or whatever, you know. (laughs) But you play with it until you just coexist with that, which actually prepared me really well for doing later studio recording where you do have to be able to play effortlessly with a click track often if you're recording to a click. And then there was this thing Susie Petrov taught me, where instead of tapping one foot, she taps alternating feet. Oh, interesting! And so yeah. she taps left, right, left. Well, it's left, sort of like marching. Right.
1: Yeah. You're your marching band.
0: And yeah. that one thing really grounded my playing.
1: Well, it probably also balances you too. It does because, because you're because you're working both sides of your body. Yep. That's a great That's a great thing to do.
0: Yeah. So if I'm playing a waltz and I'm doing this left-right tapping, the, it, it's like a hemiola, it crosses the bar line in chunks of three. And so you really can't rush across the measure. It makes it a lot harder to do that.
1: Interesting. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. What, a, what so, a great discovery.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for that observation, because <laughs> it sent me down this whole road of, Yeah. you know, like doing anything like contra music or picking something to get good at is fun. It's like as much about the process as the result, because Along the way, in order to get better, you have to figure out what these things are and learn new things. And then all of a sudden, you end up on this other adventure. Yeah. So thanks for that. I know you've been a, a mentor to many people.
1: But I really like the... I, I, I love the interpersonal side of it. I, I mean, that it's a... It, it's it's extremely important. <laughs> no, there's no way of getting around it. I mean, that probably... Is why you know the four of us could stay together for so long. We're so different, the four of us, in bare necessities.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But uh, well, I mean, we're also not fighting over repertoire. The repertoire... <laughs> right. <laughs> so that, which is one thing that drives people apart often. Yeah. But um, but just really, uh, you know, we're I think we're able to process too. Hmm.
0: Yeah, learn what each other's tendencies are and learn how to work on that together as a band to support each other. Yeah. Yeah. It has been so wonderful to talk with you about all these things today. Thank you so much for your experience and your perspective.
1: Thanks, Julie. I, it's, it's, it's fun to go back on this, and I um, just appreciate so much that you're doing this for the, for the greater good. For
0: the greater and the, good. For
1: the greater good, and also um, just drawing in people of, you know, from along this history of playing. I mean, I what I started 17, 70, 70, 70, 76, 19, 1976 and it, here it is twenty twenty. That's a
0: long time. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. And it'll go on for many, many more years. Yeah, it's been a great
1: ride, and uh, and so many wonderful people along the way. I mean, amazing people, and mm-hmm. amazing musicians. Just so
0: that's why I keep coming back. Ultimately, yeah. it's yeah. the people, the friendships, right. and the connections that you just. Yeah, you said it better than I did. It's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Contra Pulse. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society, and is produced by Ben Williams. Thanks to Great Meadow Music for the use of tunes from the album Old New England by Bob McQuillan, Jane Orszakowski, and Deanna Stiles. Visit contrapulse.cdss.org for more info. Happy dancing!